Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, it's Rachel Marshall, and I am joined by my husband, Lucas. And um, we actually have a very, very unique recording for you today. I have our newest newborn baby, Olivia, sleeping on my chest right now. And so hopefully she'll stay asleep as we record this. But Lucas, welcome to the show today. It's great to be here. And I know that you guys don't normally get a chance to hear from Lucas, but he is not only my personal rock, but he's also the rudder and the force and the CEO behind everything that you see and experience with the money advantage. So really excited to have him here today. What we want to talk about is we just really want to share our personal story with you. We delivered our second daughter on May 20th. And from the time of the recording today, it was about two and a half weeks ago. And we want to share with you our very personal story about how I almost died in childbirth. And, um, as emotional as it was and has been, it also, for me, is almost starting to feel like it was a really long time ago, even though it was only a very couple of short weeks. So what we want to share is just the trauma and the crisis that we went through, the miraculous healing and the way that I recovered, and just the redemption of it all and the eternal treasures that we've gained through the experience and then really wanting to share with you guys today the the protection that carried us through. And that is a very multifaceted protection that we want to share with you. So we're really a living, breathing testament to the goodness and mercy of God in our lives. And uh, we have a brand new perspective about life, just a huge amount of gratitude for the breath that we have, the ability to see another day, and um, just really are not taking life for granted at all at this moment. And we can confidently say that we are tremendously grateful for the protection in all of those different ways that we're going to share with you today that we've staked into the ground of our financial life. And so the reason we want to share this in this way with you is that we've seen so many tragic stories of health crisis or loss of a loved one or a family member having to turn to fundraising through GoFundMe. And really just to be able to make it and survive the financial difficulty. And for us, we see that while it is a blessing to be able to be there for other people and really see the, the community that surrounds someone who's struggling in that way, it's also really heartbreaking to see the lack of financial preparedness. And um, we just see that in multiple circumstances, really exponentially compounding that stress and the trauma and the difficulty and just the hardship and the heartache that somebody goes through. And so I just want to let you know, it can be prevented and you can be prepared. And so really having protection in place in your life creates that space to think and gives you the time to process everything that's going on and, um, and really help you through a personal tragedy. So it also, I feel is the one thing that sometimes you can, put your feet on solid ground and know that there's one area of your life that is in control when it feels like everything else in your life is spinning out of control. So we want to talk about how to survive dying without needing a GoFundMe account and really show you how you can survive life's worst moments. So we also through this have 
just really realize that we want to share with you why our work is way more than just work. Our business is way more than just a business. It's really our life and our mission and our calling. And really, we feel almost like this compelling purpose for us to be able to help people financially. And that includes being able to keep more of the money they make and then protect it and and make more. But really, the purpose behind all of that is to be able to live the life that you were destined and designed to live so that you can live it to the fullest and live to the hilt and really have meaning and purpose no matter what happens in life. So today, um, I do want to share where does this fit in the cash flow system? Um, it actually does fit, even though it's a very personal story. And we're really talking about the protection component. So it's that that middle layer of the cash flow system. First, you're keeping more of the money you make, then you're protecting that money, and then you're using it to make more and create income. And so it's really that protection component, helping you to protect the wealth that you've built so that no one life circumstance can ever come in and steal or sweep away what you've created. So honey, as we um, just kind of get into this story, let's talk about what actually happened first and then kind of what our feelings and thoughts were as we walk through that. Sound good? Yeah. And before we start, I want to make it perfectly clear that we are in no way wanting anyone to feel shame or if you know or are someone who um, did not have protection in place when something like this happened and was in need of support from other people. But what we're really hoping is that people who are able and can, um, that they would protect their loved ones and ensure that they're taken care of because it's really, it really is easy to do. It just takes the time. And a lot of times we're so busy, people just don't think about it and they just don't do it, but it's so easy to do. Yeah. And, and absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I guess that's really our heart behind all of this is to equip you and empower you to have everything that you need to live that excellent life and absolutely have no shame or guilt for any areas that you may not have had in place up until this point, because honestly, most people don't have adequate protection. So let's jump into the story a little bit. And uh, we're not going to share all of the details. It was just a very complex story. But we were about 38 weeks and two days. And um, we had been watching baby not grow as quickly as she was supposed to. And my blood pressure was creeping up. And so they were looking at saying, okay, well, baby needs to um, be delivered now so that she can tolerate labor. They actually diagnosed on that day, we were in for an appointment, they diagnosed interuterine growth restriction, which just basically means that the baby's not getting enough nourishment and blood supply. So they're not growing adequately and looking at my blood pressure as well, just saying, Hey, we really need to induce. And so baby's heart rate was very high oh, yeah. and they were very concerned about her heart rate. And so we were not at all prepared. We thought we were going to go in for that morning appointment appointment take our seven-year-old daughter to school and go about our day. So we didn't even have any of our stuff. Um, so it was very, yeah. very. Uh, yeah, it was, it was challenging. And at the same time, we, I had had a feeling that we were going to go early and deliver early with this one. We'd been two weeks early with our first daughter, seven and a half years ago. And so I'd packed the bags this time and they were as packed as I could have them be sitting at home. We didn't bring them with us because we were thinking we were basically in the clear. But I think in the back of my mind, I had a feeling that we were going to be induced at some point and feeling like maybe we can get through this visit without it. Maybe not. But 
what ended up happening, we induced labor. It was about 1.30. It was taking a long time to get going. We had our daughter with us, the seven-year-old, and planning to keep her with us during labor, hoping labor was going to be nice and calm and smooth and peaceful. And it was about, I don't know, 6.30 in the evening, I think. Still hadn't really progressed. It was about five hours on Pitocin. And we said, well, this could end up being a long night. Maybe she should spend the night with a friend instead. And so ended ended up, we sent our daughter to go overnight with a friend. And then um, really labor picked up at about 8.30. By 9 o'clock, I was definitely in very strong labor. Um, four centimeters at that time, the doula came back at 9 o'clock. And within 43 minutes, our little Olivia was born. So it was a very, very hard and fast labor. I had no um, drugs in terms of pain medication. We had just really wanted a natural birth as much as possible. And so kind of piecing the story together afterwards, found out that it was just really shocking to my body and to baby's body as just the strength of the Pitocin um, happened. And so, yeah, we were progressed from four centimeters to 10 over the course of about 40 minutes. And as concerned as they were about the baby, there was a lot of sense of urgency after she was delivered. They cut the cord really quickly and uh, they had the pediatricians in the room and she ended up improving from probably about a five APGAR up to a nine within five minutes. So it was, it was pretty quick, but um, there was a little bit of con uh, quite a bit of concern about her. We lost the heartbeat with her in the later stages of labor. And so I was just really thankful that she was alive and felt like we were in the clear and out of the woods and everything was good at that point. And it mostly was, um, except then they asked me to push the placenta out and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Nothing was happening. There was no placenta to deliver and, or it was stuck. They called it a retained placenta or sticky placenta. And so what turned into trying to have a manual extraction in the room, they said, look, we really need to take her to the operating room and do surgery and make sure that we've got the whole placenta. And so it was 1045, about an hour after delivering the baby, that they gave me some anesthesia to start the process and wheeled me out of the room. And that was the last time Lucas saw me for about five and a half hours. And um, I don't clearly remember much from the process, but I was in surgery. And then I came to, and I remember first seeing the clock, it was 2.30. Somehow I knew it was 2.30 in the morning the next day. I was coherent of that. I realized in my mind it had been four hours. My very, very first thought was, thank God I'm here to see another day. And just that extreme, just like this wave of gratitude just washing over me. And then I see all of these professionals in the room, probably about nine people that I'm thinking, I'm so thankful to this care team that loved me enough to keep me alive during the last four hours, whatever happened. And then, um, and then I thought, oh my goodness, Lucas must be really, really worried. Like he just must be having a terrible time. And so I kind of want to switch over to um, what was going on with Lucas during that time or, or let me share this. So what actually ended up happening was I guess I hemorrhaged during the um, surgery and I lost at least two liters of blood at that time. And then they couldn't get the bleeding to stop. So they ended up putting some kind of a balloon inside of my uterus to try to clamp the bleeding, but the clamping wouldn't happen. 
the uterus wouldn't clamp. And then also I ended up losing my clotting factor. They called it something called DIC and it was worse than the hemorrhage situation. And my blood pressure was falling and failing. And I guess I was unconscious for at least 45 minutes and then another probably hour or so that I was in and out of consciousness as I was waking up. But it was a huge specialist team. They called a medical alert and brought a lot of professionals. I guess there's a respiratory therapist and uh, intensive care specialist or respiratory specialist and an intensive care specialist. So there was a, a wide, diverse team of medical professionals helping me. Um, but I want to transition over. So, honey, would you talk a little bit about what you were going through mentally and as as you weren't seeing me after after ten forty five? Yeah, I re- I remember you being rolled out of the delivery room to OR or operating room. And everyone walked out except for me and one nurse who was finishing filling out some forms for our newly born daughter, Olivia. And just the tremendous feeling of, um, of helplessness. There was nothing I could do. And I was looking at our beautiful newborn daughter and wondering what was happening with my wife and just trying to uh, keep it together emotionally. And shortly after the nurse left the room, it was just me and Olivia. And I was feeding her for, for the first time. And it was, I don't know, it was 11 something at night. Um, and just feeling all alone. I had nobody really to talk to. I, if I were to call anyone, I'd probably be waking someone up in the middle of the night and and just not really sure what to do or who I could even reach out to at that point. I just really remember a strong sense of feeling helpless and alone. And I, I remember uh, at one point I was praying and comforting Olivia, really comforting myself and telling her things like, mommy's going to make it because she's strong and 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 just uh, talking to Olivia and just comforting myself really. Um, then they moved me to another room. They moved Olivia and I to another room. And the doctor who had been operating a couple hours later came to tell me that Rachel, or that they could not stop the bleeding, that she had lost a significant amount of blood and they also and they could and was hemorrhaging and they could not stop the bleeding. And I think it was at this point, I remember uh, crying as after she left the room, I broke down crying and I was thinking to myself, how am I going to tell our seven-year-old daughter that her mother is dead? And as much as you never want to think about something like that happening at that moment, it felt not that it was going to happen, but that it was a real possibility. And <clears throat> I just remember telling myself that I couldn't let my mind go there. And I focused on thinking about Rachel being okay and seeing her again. And um, at some point, the doctor, and I don't remember what, when I thought this, but there was another point where the doctor came and told me that, well, we stopped the bleeding. And they said a bunch of stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I remember asking, is it better or worse? And they said, well, really, it's worse. 
Um, and at that point, I really wasn't sure if I would ever see Rachel again. And I remember the thought going through my head that, well, I can't replace her, but thank God we have life insurance. And that if something happens to her, I don't have to think about how I'm going to uh, financially take care of my daughters and try to work. I can turn, I can take that money. I can focus on you know, uh, our business. I can focus on creating cash flow from it and not having to think about doing both at the same time. I could, I could have all the time I needed to figure things out. And, um, that, that was a tremendous amount of peace knowing that I had that protection financially, but in no way would it have replaced Rachel. And I think one of the things that Rachel didn't bring up was they gave her eight units of blood. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. It was eight units that they ended up giving me, I guess, during surgery. And then after surgery and throughout the day that I spent in ICU, it was about 20 hours of recovery time that I spent in ICU total. Um, which that alone was miraculous that it was that quick, but eight units of blood, we found out that that was four units of red blood cells, two units of platelets and two units of frozen plasma. And Lucas and I just kind of, again, piecing this together afterwards and doing some of our own research, we said, well, how much is a unit of blood and, and how many units of blood does, does a person have in their body? And Lucas found out that the average man has about 10 units of blood in their body. The average woman has about five to six units of blood in her body. Now, granted, when you're pregnant, you have about one and a half times the blood supply. So I would have had more than five to six units in my body. But the crazy thing was that they replaced almost all of my blood. And I remember at some point during the coming to process, again, I don't know how long that was, but I know that I just became tremendously grateful for whoever was the unknown donors who donated blood just because of the goodness of their heart that allowed me to live. And Oh yeah. The, the tremendous feeling of gratitude when the doctor came and told me, Hey, your wife's improving and she's regained consciousness. Do you want to go see her? <laughs> I, about, I about fell over. I was so happy. I, I um, took our daughter to the nursery and the doctor took me to where my wife was. And I remember um, as soon as I walked in the room, I couldn't hold the tears back. I just started crying. And, and, and I was <laughs> so, so excited to see her, see her alive and know that everything's going to be okay. We have the rest of our lives to be together and to raise our daughters. And that it was such a huge amount of relief. I'm tremendous. Yeah. I just remember he came around the corner as I was in ICU and he looked like an angel to me. <laughs> and when he broke down crying, I realized how just excruciating the time that he'd been not seeing me must have been. And I think, I mean, I knew it until that point, but I really knew it at that point. And um, so I think that's mainly what we wanted to tell about the story. Um, I did end up, I mean, it, it then 
got better. I was, I did recover very quickly. I remember I asked Lucas to take a picture of me when I was in ICU and he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I want to remember this <laughs> and, and document it. I don't know if yeah. I've seen that picture still. I'm not sure I want to see it. They said that I, um, originally when I first had come out of surgery that I had no color in my body at all. Not even my lips had any color that I was completely yeah. white. I remember the next day, one of the surgeons was in the room and this is after a couple conversations, second or third conversation with him. He said, you don't re you don't remember most people. What you do remember are the really bad ones. And he said, unfortunately you'll be remembered for a very long time. And I think it just kept hitting us how close to Rachel not being here, how close to that we were. I mean, I knew it was bad when the doctor came or the surgeon came and said that they couldn't stop the bleeding. And then when they came back two hours later and said things were worse, I mean, all those hours throughout the morning, not sleeping, worried about Rachel taking care of our newborn and, um, you know, I knew things were bad, but I think it just became more and more apparent as we learned everything that happened and all the specialists that, Hey, if, if we had had this at some small hospital in a small town, they wouldn't even have the supplies, maybe not even the specialist or someone with the experience to know it, to really be able to help. But even if they had the experience, they wouldn't have the supplies. And so we just realized how fortunate we were <clears throat> to be in a hospital with the staff, with the supplies Mm -hmm. And um, with the with the knowledge and the experience to treat Rachel, and that knowing that a lot of people may not have wouldn't survive something like this, so we're extremely yeah. fortunate. Just I I can't tell you how many times I've thought about how grateful. And there's just so much to be grateful for. Um, those hours throughout the night were seemed like forever, but coming out the other end, it just gives you such a a different view on life and yeah. just the tremendous gratefulness for every moment we have. Yeah. I think the, the point when I realized that it had been very serious was when one of the midwives who was not the one present during labor for me, but that I had built a relationship with and had actually delivered my first daughter. I was talking to her and I, I told her the things that were on my mind and it was just amazing to me how I felt just completely enveloped in this absolute peace and just gratitude for the doctors, for the people who loved me enough to keep me alive for my husband, Lucas, and for our daughter and that, that it was all worth it for her to be alive and for us to have a family of four. And um, the midwife said to me, she said, remember, that remember the gratitude and the peace and the feeling and the knowing that God is good. She said, because you're going to hear stories of maternal mortality. And this was the first time I heard that word. And she said, and you're going to resonate with that. And you're going to feel all of that, except you had a different ending. And I realized that I was very, very lucky to not be a case of maternal mortality. And I'm just so thankful to be here. And um, and so it was actually an interesting recovery then after that. So I sent Lucas home that Tuesday night and I said, hey, you need to get some rest because you look exhausted and at least one of us can sleep. And I thought, well, I have the nurses here. I can be able to use them to rely on to get 
Olivia out of the bassinet or to get to the restroom or anything that I needed, I had care for. Yeah, I think I'd been almost two days at that point with maybe an hour and a half of sleep. And you'd been being mom and dad to Olivia. I mean, it was just a lot of emotional. Well, it was exhausting to say the least. And then I got about six hours of sleep. I woke up. I had a text from a friend who was watching Avalyn, our older daughter, that she was throwing up. And so I went to get her and had to stay at our house with her. So I couldn't go back to the hospital. I couldn't help Rachel. I couldn't really do anything but watch our daughter. And we couldn't really leave the house because she was so sick. And not to, we just want to spare some of the details of that sickness just to um, respect and not embarrass Abby, our older daughter, but suffice it to say that she lost 100% control of her digestive system for about three days. And because of that, Lucas ended up having to take her into urgent care. They said if she um, has any more concern, you need to take her directly to the ER. They ended up in the ER that same night. I think that was, I don't know, I'm, I'm losing the details. I think it was Thursday night. And um, she was very, very, very sick. So she ended up on an IV for five hours trying to replenish her fluids that she'd been losing. And so because of all of that, then I couldn't go home. It was rotavirus is what they ended up saying that it was. And um, we found out that that's deadly to newborns if they catch it and have the dehydration and the, um, the fever that comes along with that. And so we just said, it's not safe for me to go home. And so we were hoping to not only have Avalyn available and present at birth, have a gentle birth, and then leave that and be able to be a happy family 24 hours later. It's just not the way our story ended up working out. But um, I ended up having one friend, I just, we have been surrounded by so many people who have just stepped in and, and taken care of us in a million ways. But we had one friend drive us across the city and another friend that I stayed with for, I think four nights. I'm, I'm not sure quite on the details of that. I would have to calculate that, but, um, just the whole recovery process was miraculous for me. The doctors kept saying, I cannot believe how quickly you're recovering from this. Um, we, even though we went through the darkest, deepest night of our soul, just really, really, a a scary place for about a week. Um, and then spent the better part of the next week just kind of processing that enough to come out of the woods and and really not be in crisis mode anymore. Um, it was it was pretty challenging, but we've just never felt so loved and so cared for. And I guess really what we wanted to share is we wanted to share our story for lots of reasons. One, just to let you into that part of our lives and to show you that no one's exempt from going through hardship. And at the same time, we know that we have very specific and intentional protection in place that really just helped us to weather that. And uh, I mean, it absolutely didn't take away the stress or the anxiety or the pressure or the fear. I mean, just the terror even of going through just so much um, challenge all at once. And, um, but at the same time, the protection really is what allowed us to get through that. And so I just wanted to say the first thing would be just the relationship that we have with Jesus and the sustaining presence of a very, very tangible God who loves us tremendously and was absolutely very real and present to me and 
gave me the strength and provision to make it through when my strength was not anything capable. My wisdom was not enough to know what to do in, in that dark time. And, um, and so that's the number one protection that we had. The second I would say would just be an abundance mindset. And it's, it's really interesting to think about this. I mean, we talk about abundance a lot and we talk about, you know, having this perspective of giving and service and dollars follow value and how can you value others and value yourself. And sometimes it feels like we're just going through the motions or just talking words and philosophy. But I mean, we've been working on this, developing and cultivating this abundance mindset for years. I mean, I don't even know if I would say four, five, six years. I mean, it's been a long time that we've just been really intentional to say, how are we going to choose to have a positive perspective in this? And it's just amazing to me that, I mean, I think the presence of God being very real to me and just this continual choosing this abundance perspective for years at a time, it was like almost like building this muscle Yeah. that, I mean, I honestly felt to me, it was astounding. And I just, I, I yeah. I just kept saying, I don't feel like there's any other emotion available to me other than yeah. gratitude and peace. I distinctly remember the feeling of, of yes, being alone and helpless and fear of losing Rachel um, was very real and very present. <clears throat> but at the same time, I allowed myself to feel that. And Mm -hmm. there's no, I don't know, a human being that wouldn't have those feelings and those emotions. Real human emotion. But but there was a part of it that I didn't let my mind dwell on that possibility. Mm -hmm. I, as much as possible, focused on thinking about the outcome I wanted, which was Rachel surviving and becoming 100% healthy and us moving on with our lives. And while that didn't take away the feeling of helplessness or feeling alone or get worried about losing her, it was tremendously helpful to, to focus my mind on what I wanted to see and what I was believing and hoping and praying for. And then also just, you know, praying and believing for, you know, whatever happened was, you know, that God was going to take care of things no matter what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely um, opened our eyes. Then I would say even to two more protections and one, I mean, we didn't even really talk about this, but just having relationships. I mean, I didn't know or value the strength of the relationships that we have but I was just astounded when we had so many people reaching out to us. And again, we hadn't even made her birth public. I mean, we were just barely able to sustain just getting through the one next minute, um, just with so much challenge that was happening. It was hard enough to keep our immediate family informed. And and we went hours without, without informing them. And so then they would be more worried probably than, than necessary because they didn't, have details once I'd come to out of surgery and things like that. But, um, we just had so many people offering to bring us meals or, or actually bringing us meals or driving me throughout the city when I couldn't go home. And we were worried at one point about Olivia not passing a car seat test. And she finally did. And it was just 
amazing to me to see just the people rallying around us to love and support us. Strangers, a huge number of staff of the hospital who I would say I credit my life to now at this point and, and just tremendously amazing friends and family. And then I do want to talk about the protection as well of the life insurance and estate planning and having those pieces in place. Yeah. Being in the industry that we're in changes how you think. And I know sometimes people think, Oh, you sell life insurance, you sell disability insurance. Those are, those are products that you sell. So clearly you're just going to, you know, say that that's what people should have. But, you know, when, when you are the one delivering the benefit of life insurance to the people that, are left behind to the beneficiaries. Um, and I've heard this from countless people in the industry. You will never hear that the benefits are too much. Oh, that's too big of a check. No, thanks. I mean, if anything, you see so many stories or hear so many stories of people who that's all there is. And that's, it's not enough and it's, it's helpful, but it's, it's not enough. And mm-hmm. the other you know, but having this event happen to us just personally solidified how possible something like this is. And you don't, there's no way of knowing that, you know, when or if it will happen to you. And mm-hmm. the reality is, is that you're, you're able to protect yourself against these events, even if they're the, the more unlikely they are, you know, um, the easier in many ways they are to to ignore almost to ignore. Yeah. And to just not think about, but another aspect along with the life insurance that people don't contemplate or, or don't experience unless it happens to you is realizing how many people are disabled for very long periods of time mm-hmm. before uh, they die and life insurance would even kick in. So a lot of times people have a significant disability for years. And so um, this goes back to one of the policy writers on, on life insurance of waiver of premium. If you, even if you have a term policy, if you have that, the policy, if you, if it's a 20, say it's a 20 year term and you get to the 20 years and you're, or 15 years, you're disabled and you live beyond the uh, term of that term insurance, it will be converted the whole life or some form of or permanent insurance, and you know that 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 is going to be there to take care of your family. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is disability insurance, and um, having it allows your family to be there for you, to help you, to not worry about replacing having to focus on replacing all of your income. And it oftentimes is the difference between a family having to now replace your income and take care of you versus being able to not think about that and be able to help you with the disability. And mm-hmm. so, you know, protecting your loved ones yeah, is so easy to put out of mind. But I think for us having come so close to having this be real and also seeing and hearing the stories just because we're in the industry has just made it so real to us. And it's why we're so passionate about it and just helping as many people put these protections in place. And then the last one is um, uh, estate planning. So specifically for us, having children under the age of 18, knowing that we have determined who they will stay with and ensuring that the finances are there to take care of 
uh, our children and any wishes we have for them and to take care of the people taking care of our children um, gives a tremendous peace of mind if something were to happen to both Rachel and I. You know, obviously the situation would have still left me, but then if something happened to me or an event happened that happened to both Rachel and I, we know that that protection is there. And then also another aspect of estate planning is having a uh, health care, uh, a health power of attorney where mm-hmm. I could make decisions for Rachel or she can make decisions for me if I'm unconscious. Now we didn't need that in this situation, but we did take those documents to mm-hmm. the hospital um, before um, yeah. before giving birth. And um, there's and one other time when I had ask, a surgery and yeah. we brought it in and, and having those documents give, gives you a peace of mind knowing that the person that makes decisions is able to say, hey, uh, they can they can either make decisions. They can also to the point where if they don't feel like the, the person is getting the care they need to so move them to another facility. So these are all things that people don't want to think about. Oftentimes that can be kind of scary. And which honestly for us. I didn't realize how close it was to having to make this call, but clearly I was unconscious or under anesthesia and not able to make my own decisions. But they were moments away from having to do an emergency hysterectomy in order to get me to live. And that would have been a decision that somebody would have had to make that wasn't me. I couldn't speak for myself in that moment and they would have had to have Lucas make that decision. But I would rather be my husband than somebody else. I don't or, know. I don't know if that's a thing that, you know, I mean, that's not something we've experienced. I don't know if that's something that they would even ask. I think given the nature of your circumstances, nice. they would have just been saving your life. But, but there are circumstances oftentimes where families have to make decisions and, and knowing that you're putting that in the hands of somebody you trust and that, you know, has your best interest in mind is very comforting. Yeah. And I'll say um, something else about this. And I know we're, again, in the industry, and we talk all the time about protection and increasing your cash flow and how to help it turn into creating more income. And I guess I just want to share with you that we are not just saying these things. It's not just a theory. It's not just something that we think is cool or nice. We eat our own medicine when it comes to this. And one of the things that we talk about on a regular basis is human life value and having as much insurance as you can get, specifically as much life insurance as you can get. And for all people based on their income, it's a different amount, but we have as much life insurance as we can get. And that was just a tremendous peace of mind of knowing it wasn't going to be, if, if I had passed, it wouldn't have been 25,000 or 50,000 or 75,000 or even just two fifty thousand that Lucas would have received to be able to carry on life. And he would have had the opportunity to take a break and really process and figure out how is he going to handle childcare and food and cooking and caring for two girls and making an income, he would have been able to step back and not just have sufficient resources to bury me, but to also be able to figure out life. And so just human life value is a tremendous peace of mind for us. And we have that on both of us and knowing that if the roles were reversed or if both of us passed away, that that would be available then to care for our children. And so again, I know that this is a very somber podcast and normally we have a little bit more upbeat ones, but just due to the nature of the story, I wasn't sure if I was going to be emotional on the podcast today and I definitely was. And um, Thank you for bearing with us through that story. And I guess what I would just hope that we can share with you is that you can take away 
is please, please build the protection in your life when you don't need it during the time that you are good and that you have the mental resources and the financial resources to be able to put those protections in place. And again, I mean, it's not just the insurance. It's it's having your heart right with the Lord. It's having the right relationships in your life. It's having that abundance mindset. But the protections are tremendous. And one other side thing that I didn't mention is that because I didn't die, we didn't need to use life insurance. So that wasn't the tool that we went to. Because I didn't become disabled, we didn't turn to disability insurance. Because I did live, we still have financial repercussions of this. I mean, at this point, we have not seen the doctor bills. But what I do know is that just the transfusion of blood that I received is so costly that most small hospitals, as Lucas said, wouldn't even have a supply sufficient to have sustained my life on hand in their facility. And so I know that the number of people who saw me in the specialist and the anesthesia that I was given, I know that there's going to be significant cost. And when we look at that, At this point, life insurance did not, thankfully, gratefully, graciously did not need to be used. Disability insurance did not need to be used. But we do have health insurance that then protects us up to we know what the maximum out of pocket is going to be, that even if these bills come back, I mean, I, again, have no idea. Even if the bills come back and it's $250,000 worth of medical bills, though. We know that we're not going to pay that because we have health insurance in place that says, here's our max out of pocket. And we have an emergency fund that is sufficient to be able to pay for that max out of pocket. Yeah. And so I just, I highly, highly, I just um, plead with you to look at all of those protections in your life and put them in place when you are healthy, when you don't need them, because you absolutely never know when you will. And that's not to be in fear and scarcity and, and, and doubt and worry, but really it's to be able to have that peace of mind of knowing that you're going to be able to weather that storm. And so we just share this with you from a place of living it very personally. And um, I hope that our story was helpful to you. It did end really well. And I'm here to tell the tale. And I'm so thankful to be able to um, share the story with you. And I know that there's great, great things in store for me. And I know that my life is valuable and so is yours. And so If you are in a position right now where you want to assess and build that roof of protection in your personal life, you can always book a strategy call with us at themoneyadvantage.com. You can get straight on our calendar and we'd be very happy to have a conversation with you about how to make sure that you have the protections in place that you need. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes.